You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello and welcome to the Mission Field USA podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm the Reverend Dr. Mark Larson, Manager of Church Planting. And joining me today is the Reverend Dr. Mark Wood, another Mark, uh, the LCMS Witness and Outreach uh, Ministry and LCMS Revitalization Initiative Director. Welcome, Mark. So glad to have you with us. Oh, it's good to be back. Yeah, I really appreciate your doing uh, that for us today. And we're excited for our topic today, Insights on Reaching This Generation with the Gospel. We know that there's a great challenge out there to uh, share the good news of Jesus with people. It's wonderful news. Sometimes people don't really know that they want to hear it, but uh, we know they do. So, Mark, we're glad you're here. And maybe start off by describing uh, what you mean by this generation. Yes, this generation. It's a generation into which we live and are part of. Uh, Sometimes people want to focus in on one part of a generation. And I'll talk about like the baby boomers. That's a generation, and it is in and of itself. And there's dates. If you're born between this date and this date, you're you're in this generation. And then you have the the silent generation. You have the millennials. They're a famous generation. Now we're in talking about Gen Z. Everybody skipped over Gen Y. Um, but in reality, we should think of this generation as all the people living at this time. Everybody. Yeah, spans all those groups. Now, granted, each one of those groups has its own unique identity. You know, it's their characteristics. But when you get to the gospel and speaking the gospel, every one of those generations needs to hear about Christ. Absolutely. So so we'll talk about this generation, the people that we're living with right now. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a a good insight because so often we get focused and forget that the mission of the church is always to reach everybody, all nations, all people. Right. Don't yeah. give up on the baby boomers. I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean it, may, it may seem like we have one foot in the grave, but there's still hope and we can, they still need to hear the gospel. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and we know that uh, less people are going to church, being connected to the Christian faith. What are statistics like that? What are those statistics like now? Well, the the, the statistics, the, the statistics that we're getting from researchers like Barna and Pew Research are, are very troubling. And I try not to get too hung up on statistics because, you know, they are what they are. People make a lot out of them. But the reality is they give us some measuring points, especially Pew Research, because they, they've been doing these things for many years, and we see trends. And a trend is... No, not surprising to anybody who's been in a church recently, a decline in the number of people who are affiliated with the Christian church. Mm-hmm. It's not just a Christian church, though, Mark. It, it's across the board in religious organizations in America. For the first time last year, we, we had a report that fewer than 50% of Americans are affiliated with any religious organization. Now, that includes... Christians, non-Christians, Christian cults, um, you know, people who belong to other world religions, less than 50% of people are religious, if you will. Now, when you say how many of those are Christians, it becomes even more difficult to discern when we 
one of the challenges of these surveys is something called the halo effect, in, especially in past numbers, because people are asked, well, you know, are you a member of a church? Well, the correct answer to be a good person was yes. Right, right. Yeah. So even if they weren't, they would say yes, the halo effect. That halo effect seems to be going away as the culture sees less and less value in being affiliated with a religious organization. I think that the the number that we can get to that's really most insightful is based on actual habits, not how you answer a survey, but how you live your life. And we get down to that somewhere around 18% of Americans attend an Orthodox Christian church, Orthodox meaning a Trinitarian, mm-hmm. confessing the triune God, 18% actively participate in an Orthodox Christian church. That's about one out of five adults. Wow. Wow. Now, is that weekly or in particular week or just oh, Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, too, because researchers have struggled with that because what constitutes regular church attendance? It used to be weekly, and then it kind of slipped to every other week, and then it became once a month. And now some researchers are using the standard of once every six weeks. Now, that you know, to any pastor out there listening, that should give you like heart palpitations. Yes. Because once every six weeks, oh my gosh, you know. So that's where statistics don't always help us out because researchers are kind of moving the, the goal line here for us, if you will. Right. In my own experience in the parishes, I kind of classify them as faithful worshipers and the others. The others. <laughs> <laughs> faithful worshipers come every time they can, right. normally, unless they're traveling, the sick, or, or snow, you know, but. Uh, Others, it's it gets less. Every six weeks, that's pretty. That's doesn't seem like a the standard that the scripture is holding out. No, and <laughs> so. it's not healthy spiritually. Right. It's not healthy right. spiritually speaking. It's not good for the community. It also makes it very difficult to determine who is really still plugged in and who's right. been gone more than six weeks, but we haven't noticed because you know. Once every six weeks, it's hard to keep track of people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how long has this been going on? This probably isn't the first generation to experience this. Well, we have, we've seen a steady decline. If we take the Missouri Synod specifically, since the 1970s, we've been declining about 2% a year. It's other church bodies have been declining at a more rapid pace. What we what should concern us mostly, though, is is to see not so much the numbers of people in worship, and but the impact that it has in terms of the exponential factor that's coming. So we have children who have never been in a church before. Mm-hmm. Their parents, maybe their parents were church, maybe they weren't church, but they dropped out and have not brought their children up into faith. But some of those parents are the same way. They weren't brought up in the faith. Right. And so we've been wrestling with the whole thing about second generation of unchurched people. But now we're starting to get into a third generation where the neither the children nor their parents nor their grandparents have ever been active in a Christian church. And this is significant because a lot of our uh, outreach efforts are centered around the idea, let's bring them back. Right. You know, come back to church. Come back to – well, how do you come back to some place you've never been before? So we need to shift our strategy here to under, understand that we're dealing with people who are 
have never been part of the Christian church in their lives, and we can't just invite them to come back. It'll be a strange thing for them to even think about coming because right. it's just never been there. It's like, totally outside their frame of reference. Right, right. And, yeah. I've never been to the Elks Club or or, or right. even American Legion. So, you know, so it would be strange for me to walk through that door, and they right. would probably feel the same. Sure. Uh, any Anytime you're asking somebody to do something that is totally outside their frame of reference, there's a high level of discomfort. Yeah. So we have to look at ways of, I get the traditional description of this is how do you bring people in through the side doors of the church right. through activities and events and ministries rather than saying, hey, come to worship, which right. is the front door. Right. Uh, so more emphasis on the side door entry where we can help people be comfortable and, uh, and ease them into the church environment that they're unfamiliar with. Right. Do you have any quick examples of those side doors? Sure. You may have a, a need in your community, and it should really be based on that. What are the needs in your community that you can address? And let's say you've, you've done your research, you've talked to people in the community, and parents are having a real trouble, real trouble raising their children. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how to be a good parent. Grandparents live six states over. They're on their own. Have a parenting class. Mm -hmm. A parenting class opens up the door, the side door of the church. They get you know, it's not a Bible study on parenting. It's just a parenting class. They're comfortable with that. It helps build relationships and uh, opens other doors of opportunity once they are more comfortable saying, hey, I've, I've been inside these four walls and the roof didn't cave in on me. Right. And the right. people didn't, you know, do anything bizarre. In fact, they seem pretty ordinary, actually likable. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. willing to try Hopefully. something else. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> we'll aim for that. Yes, yes, that's the goal. Yeah. Uh, now, if somebody wants to get more detailed on these side door sort of ways of bringing people into the church, the Office of National Mission provides a resource called Connect to Disciple. Cool. And Connect to Disciple teaches a process of congregational outreach. Very good. I'm guessing you find that on your website. It'll be on the website, lcms.org slash revitalization. Ah. And if you look under that, you'll see Connected Disciple links. Cool. And that, and that for our LCMS congregations is at no cost. Perfect. Great resource for them. Well, very, very good. The, the church is facing challenging times. I doubt this is the first time. What to do? <laughs> yeah. It, that's a. I love that discussion because many of the the perspectives of what the church should be are based on what was really an anomaly in the church's experience, and that was the 1950s. And it seemed like America was Christian in the 1950s, and we can debate that some other time. But it was an unusual time. Mm -hmm. After the World War II, people were coming back, starting their families, suburban life. Church was still the center of life in America. And we look at that as like, that's the gold standard. But if you get into the, or that's a norm even. Right, right. But if you get into the history of America, you see it, that was unusual. And certainly in other parts of the world, it's unusual. And the reality is that church has always formed a minority and it's always been the minority voice and culture. We experience an exceptional time. Now we're kind of getting back to norms. Yeah. And so when Jesus said, the world will hate you because it first hated me, if you grew up in the 50s, you might have really struggled with that. But I think we can see the reality of that today. Right. Yeah. It seems more clear that yeah. even to take traditional views of uh, Christian morality can get you in trouble. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's not anything new either. The first century right. church 
immediately ran headlong into this when they when they tried to engage the Roman culture where you know Christian morality was laughed at and then of course the whole polytheism you know emperor worship they ran into a lot of legal troubles and right. the things that we're concerned about coming down the pike the, the early church rushed headlong into from the beginning. Very beginning. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, this generation, what are some insights on how we can be connecting the gospel to them? So reaching uh, this generation is really uh, a challenge for us, but it, it's a challenge that God's put before us. I, I like to tell people that God... God has put us in this place at this time with these people according to his purpose. So we're not here yeah. by accident. Right. You know, maybe it would have been easier to be the church 50, 60 years ago. But guess what? God God put us here now and he put us with these people. The key then is how do we engage these people? And the reality is we already do. Our outreach, our witness should be contextual and relational. So relationships are the key. Yeah. Many people have this picture of evangelism as going through some kind of training, learning a script, go out in the neighborhood, knock on the door, and work through your script. And that's what, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. yeah. Been, <laughs> a long time ago. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I tell people that the thing that it did most for me was improve my prayer life because I would sit in my car <laughs> praying fervently, Lord, please let no one be home. <laughs> yes, yes. So I yes, could just yes. leave the track here and, and not actually talk to anybody. But now there's still. There's still places where that may work. I'm not saying don't ever do that. But the reality for most of us is that's not the kind of evangelism that's going to be effective in our current contemporary culture. Instead, we look at relationships. And and if you want to get deeper into that, it's, it's relationships within the vocations that God has called us to. So every, every Christian has... Uh, vocations. If you're familiar with Gene Edward V's book, God at Work, he talks about four realms of vocation. We actually borrowed that and, and adapted it and used it in the Everyone is Witness evangelism resource to help people see, look, God, God has put you in these realms of life where you interact with people who don't know Jesus. Right. And so if you're a father, you're might be in school or playing basketball. Right. So yeah. you have what are the four realms? There's family. Mm-hmm. And most of us don't have to go very far in our family to find right. people who don't confess Jesus or have fallen away from the church. There's occupation. So you're in a workplace. And granted, things are different in the workplace today. But even if you're not witnessing directly in a workplace because of prohibitions, you are forming relationships with people that may create opportunities for right. that. The other realm is church. So the things we do as members of the church, especially our ministries in the community, mercy work, human care, they open up opportunities that because we engage non-church people there. And then the, probably the the greatest, the largest area of vocation is neighbor. Mm-hmm. And you know, God has put us into a community, not just the people who live next door to us, but as you mentioned, going to play basketball, you know, sitting in the stands where your kids play soccer and you're interacting with non-churched parents of other players, the dance recitals, all those things that go on in our everyday life. That's where the relationships already are. We don't have to go knocking on doors of strangers. God has brought these non-church people to us in these various vocational contexts. Yeah, very good. So if relationships are key, what role would apologetics play, if any? Yeah, well, uh, apologetics still has a place for sure. I, I like to think of it as the handmaiden of evangelism. Okay. Uh, 
it's not the role that some people want it to have, as though we can argue people into the kingdom of heaven. Chances are, if you get into an apologetic argument with a non-church person, it'll you you know you may be really good at this and win the argument, but you'll lose the opportunity to share God's word. Right. People, for the by and far, are not interested in a logical argument about religion, and actually, it can backfire. I, I was recently, actually, I was kind of shocked by it I, I don't know why i'm shocked by anything anymore but i was shocked <laughs> by this it was a it was a clip of a red dialogue where somebody had taken pictures of his daughter's paper that she did for school now they lived in east texas and uh, it was the only private school available it was a christian school and this family were not christians and the paper was basically comparing evolution versus creation mm-hmm. and it was in her paper, she was rejecting the arguments of evolution and presenting the biblical teaching of creation. And the parent was like, what is all this about? <laughs> and what shocked me, Mark, wasn't so much the parent's response because, you know, the parent was thinking, oh, I'm getting a good private education. Right. But I got more than I thought. But it was the commenters. Mm-hmm. Commenters were saying things like, she's in a cult. Get her out now. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, I mean, they were... This is nonsense. This is crazy. This is child abuse. Yeah. You know, people were hostile to the her apologetic treatment of, of of evolution. So, if you're trying to witness to someone and and they make a comment about dinosaurs or the Earth right. being gazillion years old, and you say, "Well, no, here, let me straighten you out with apologetics," you're going to lose that person, even if you win the argument. Right. Right. Yeah. And sometimes some of those issues aren't kind of the main one anyway. So, right. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's always time for apologetics. And yeah. and the greater use of apologetics comes when when somebody has come to know the gospel and now wants to learn and grow. Right. And, and keep in mind, with all these non-church people around us, we don't need to go around converting Baptists to Lutherans. I mean, if we can, good, because better to be a Lutheran, right? <laughs> and everybody wants to be a Lutheran. Of they course. just don't know yeah, it. They just so. don't know it. But Remember that number, 18% of Americans are in basically a Bible-teaching Trinitarian church. We disagree theologically with the Baptists, but better someone be in the Baptist church than non-churched. Right. And look at how many people need to hear about Christ from us who don't know him at all. So evangelism is not converting other Christians to Lutheranism. Evangelism is bringing the gospel to people who are lost, who don't know Christ. Right. And I would say that in our younger days, Mark, that's we did a lot of that. You know, we explained the difference between Catholics and Lutherans and Reformed and, you know, all those other things. And yeah, that's now we have bigger fish to fry. Right. Yeah. And and as I, I sometimes facetiously say, you know, think about it this way, you know, being a Baptist or going to hell for all eternity. When you weigh those two things, being a Baptist isn't so bad. <laughs> now you can insert any denomination on yeah, that line. Yeah. I don't want to pick on Baptists exclusively, but yeah, I wish everybody was a Lutheran like we are, because we know God's grace in a way that most Christians don't. But do they know and confess Jesus? Great. They're, put your energy into witnessing to people who don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do we get started on all of this? Kind of, we've grown up in a context where we expect people 
to know, have a basic understanding about the Christian faith. And, you know, we kind of referenced, we didn't name it in particular, but I cut my teeth in evangelism on Leroy Biesenthal's dialogue evangelism based on Kennedy's evangelism explosion. And, you know, it had the two questions, you know, you know, if you die tonight, do you know that you'd go to heaven? And so that presumed that people believed in heaven and wanted to go there. That doesn't seem like a starting point anymore that people may not know or believe God's word in that regard. You're right. And and I think that's one of the reasons the door-to-door evangelism is not effective in our contemporary setting. This is not on their radar. I first encountered this as a pastor of evangelism in Florida, where, you know, Florida, like other, you know, coastal communities, tends to be ahead of the culture in America. It kind of works its way in from the edges. So 20-odd years ago when we're doing this, Florida was already like the Midwest is today, you know, and culturally speaking. And, you know, people would basically say, well, here are the challenge. First of all, you couldn't get to some homes because they're in gated communities. (laughs) Secondly, if you got to the house, there's probably nobody home because they're at the soccer field or dance recital or Disney or on the beach or on the boat or on the golf course, anywhere but home. And if they were home and they answered the door and didn't shoot you for trespassing <laughs> and you asked that question, they'd probably laugh you off their front steps because that's not on their radar. Yeah. You know, God, heaven, hell, death. You know, I'm living a good life. You know, I, yeah. and most Americans are. Yeah. They're living a pretty good life. And or they were until COVID came along and they weren't thinking about death. They weren't thinking about anything but this life and how to get the most out of it at the moment. So if we come to them with theological questions and are not theologically minded. There's an immediate disconnect. Plus, we're strangers. And that's a rather personal question. Absolutely. And yeah. And so I, I refer to that as, as sort of confrontational evangelism. And I, mm-hmm. there are still places for that. But relational evangelism takes a completely different approach. Right. And so what we teach and everyone is witness is start by we have a very diverse society now. We don't know where people are coming from. We can't assume they know anything about Jesus, about religion, about the Bible. We need to listen and ask to find out where are they coming from. And what we're likely to hear, Mark, is if they know anything at all about the Christian faith, it's it's going to be negative. Mm-hmm. They've been informed by media and entertainment and the culture, which paints the Christian faith in very poor light. We're moralistic, we're, we're hypocritical, we're judgmental, all those negative things. And unfortunately, there are enough Christians out there to reinforce the stereotype, right. to cement these ideas in people's minds. So if we don't start by listening and asking and learning where they're coming from, and we start with a supposition that they have some knowledge about the Christian faith, uh, we're going to find ourselves in a really difficult situation in terms of witnessing. So what should we do? Well, I, I'd like to put it this way. Share the love of Jesus and do that in two ways. Show the love of Jesus and that, and that can be shown in any number of ways. It can be done through the mercy work of our congregation, through human care. Also, on an individual level, it can be done just by being a good neighbor, being a caring person. But don't stop at showing the love of Jesus. No one ever got saved because they saw the love of Jesus in action. They were saved because the Holy Spirit works faith through the Word. Absolutely. And so speak the love of Jesus, too. But start by showing it. Uh 
you know, in the context of that relationship and seek the Spirit's guidance, look for those opportunities to speak the love of Jesus in a way that the person will hear it, they'll listen to you, and hopefully even ask, I want to know more. Very good. Um, Wonderful conversation, Mark, as we look at reaching this generation. So I thank you very much for uh, being willing to uh, be interviewed again on for this podcast. And we thank our listeners for joining us also and hope that you'll join us next time for the Mission Field USA podcast. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.